Coming up on today's show, I give you my top tips on how we can help ease our pets out of lockdown. And we're paddling the high seas with double Olympic gold medalist Alex Gregory, who never gets in his boat without a pair of binoculars. It's a good one. Let's set sail. This podcast is sponsored by Zilkeen, a calming supplement made with a natural ingredient for cats and dogs. Zilkeen can help your pet cope during stressful situations such as separation, loud noises and changes to their routine. Speak to your vet today for more information. This week I have had just one of those weeks, you know. Unfortunately, Oliver has come down with an ear infection, so we've he's never had one. It's been a week of firsts. He's never had an ear infection before in 11 years, a one-eyed Labrador, and he just decided to blow this huge, great, big, smelly ear up. So that's been cleaned, that's been treated, he's back on track, which is great. And then Sprout, our little lamb, our little Labrador, who has been nurtured and living in the kitchen and then got back in the field and was doing so, so well, has come down with pneumonia and it's just heartbreaking she's going to be fine i promise you i'm doing everything we possibly can but she's just really struggling and it's horrible to see but she's going to be she's such a fighter i know she's going to get through it when you have pets yourself i trust me i know i I should be in the best position to be able to just calm myself down and say you know this is all going to be fine but you still that horrible sense of worry just still prevails so i am you know i'm with you I, i understand what it's like you know if you ever sort of stood in front of a vet bawling your eyes out thinking oh I feel so silly that I'm crying trust me we know what it's like you are in good company um, on that note vet together this podcast is I'm having such a great response I just wanted to say thank you so much to you all for all the messages all the questions that you're sending in normally now I would go into answering a set of your kind of questions about various animals various species your hamsters your chickens your goldfish but actually this week there's been kind of one recurring theme one one topic that loads of people are asking me about and that is how do we ease our pets out of lockdown so I thought today rather than answering loads of individuals individual questions I'm just going to sort of give a bit of an overview give you give you my top tips on how to make that transition back from where we are at the moment you know or where we've been for the last few months in kind of lockdown spending a lot of time with our pets the pros and cons of that and how we can kind of transition and ease our pets back into I suppose what's now called the the new normal because I mean a lot of people are genuinely really worried about how their pets will cope when for example we start going back to work or when they have to spend more time on their own And I think the first thing to to sort of do with this really is to just sort of look back and think about what the last few months has been like. I mean, we all know what it's been like from a human perspective, but think about it from a pet's perspective. You know, suddenly they were spending a lot more time with us. You know, we were in their space, in their home environments a lot more. And we now need to slightly unpick that and and almost reverse some of the uh, sort of like heightened dependency that we've kind of inadvertently maybe created a little bit in our in our pets by spending so much time with them so when you sort of think about the positives of lockdown you know our our pets they've had more companionship they might have had more time playing maybe with the kids if you've got kids but there are some negatives as well for example pets gaining weight which is completely understandable you know especially when we weren't allowed to exercise them very much 
But again, I think because we are spending so much time with our pets and, and you don't always notice when things change, when you're seeing them every day, and you're seeing a lot of them. But those pounds can just pile on very quietly in the background. And suddenly you come back in for a weight check and we're sort of two or three kilos heavier. So I'm going to break all I'm going to break all of this down because there's there's a few common topics that people are asking. And the first one that most people are talking about is this worry about separation anxiety. You know, when we go back to work and our dogs are suddenly being asked to, to stay on their own and, and somehow cope. Now, I think the first thing to say is there is a there is a difference between a dog that previously was able to cope with being left alone versus a dog with true separation anxiety. True separation anxiety is a really complicated behavioural disorder. You know, anybody out there with a dog with separation anxiety will know how destructive they can become, how stressful it is for both you and and your dog. You know, the barking all day long, the chewing through the skirting boards, it's, it's a really complicated area. And I would say if that's the situation that you're in and you're worried about, actually, the first thing I would do is look up the Association of Pet Behaviour Counselors, the APBC, and talk to a clinical animal behaviourist because this this needs professional help. It needs support from your vet, possibly with medication, but also a behavioural modification programme and a proper behavioural diagnosis on why our dogs are reacting like that. However, if you're just more generally worried that it might be the adjustment phase that you're, that you're kind of worried about, but otherwise they, they're pretty good at coping being left on their own, there are a few things you could do. So first up, I would definitely try and get back into a bit of a routine. So start trying to leave them on their own a little bit each day. So that could be just in a room that they're happy in or maybe a crate, somewhere that you know they feel safe, they feel secure, have a Kong maybe filled with, with food or scatter food around the area, uh, have the radio on, have distractions so that they're, they're not triggered by the fact that they're being left alone but instead they can focus their attention on something positive like food reward or or a chew something that you're happy that's safe to be left with them and then each day just leave them for a little bit longer and a little bit longer and just build it up really gradually and that's the first thing to do and start it from today and the second thing to sort of be aware of is that dogs they, they really do look to us for guidance. They're always reading us. They're always looking to us. Are we excited? Are we happy? Are we sad? Are we sort of jumping around all over the place? And they will use that as their kind of guidance to how they should be acting. So it's really important when you do leave them, for example, that we... that. Y- as tempting as it is and believe me I know it is to sort of get down there and give them a little cuddle just to give them that goodbye and you know the problem is you're really marking the fact that you're walking out that you're leaving them and that's that can really make them feel quite rejected because then they don't know how to cope with the fact that you're not there but also when you then come back the temptation massively then when you've been away from them and they've been away from you is to get down on the floor you have a great big roll around you're in the crate you're in the room you're having the best time ever the problem again with that is that you're really, really heightening the dog's awareness that you've not only left, but you've come back. And so you're leaving them with this kind of trepidation, this this worry of whether you will or won't come back. And the moment you do come back, it's, you know, so exciting and so, so much, it's so much fun to cope with. So best is to just be really calm, walk in, walk out. And then once everything's calm again, once they've got over the fact that you're home, then that's when you can have a bit of playtime with them. What you want to do is equip your your dogs with their own ability to to sort of problem solve this for themselves. You know, yes, okay, they're going to be left alone, but they can amuse themselves by doing these things that we leave for them. You know, you want to give them the information for them to be able to cope on their own but kind of without us sort of doing it for them if that if if that makes sense so 
you, you kind of you don't want to wrap them up and cotton wool them. And obviously, the quick fix to a dog that doesn't like to be left on their own is to just spend time with them all the time. Um, but that doesn't teach them anything. What you're trying to do is to teach them their their independence again, trying to get them to be okay about being left on their own. Now, you could sort of then even take this one step further. When we're talking about trying to reintroduce some routine, put some almost put some structure back into the uh, into the into the sort of interactions that we have with our pets. Normally, a lot of that routine comes from the fact that we do go out to work. So there's a set feeding time. There's a set time that they have to be calm. There's a set time that we come home and they have playtime. You know, all of those sorts of things often will will naturally form for the fact that we have routine in our on our day. But at the moment, most people haven't really got a huge amount of routine anyway for us, let alone our pets. So trying to put that structure back into place can be quite a challenge. Another thing you could maybe think about is, is for example, if you have a dog that uh, is fixated on its lead, it knows lead means walk. Or if you play a ball with them in the garden and again, they're so fixated on that ball. Make sure that when you're asking them to be chilled out, those things are out of sort of visual eyeline to them. You know, put the lead away, put the ball into a cupboard so that you don't have that kind of excitable kind of temptation that's just sitting there that is always keeping them at that kind of level of, of wound up, pent up energy. Okay, so without a doubt, the next most common topic that I'm getting asked about at the moment is puppies. You know, people want to know, is this a good time to get a puppy? Should I uh, be thinking about going to a breeder or are rescue centres even open? How do you avoid you know, the frauds, the the scams that are out there, all of these things. Now, I think probably it's just a little bit too much for me to cover in this episode, but we will cover it. And I'm sort of trying to navigate when we can put it in um, because it's such an important topic. I think, though, if you have got a puppy right now and you're sort of looking for for ideas and tips on how to maybe socialise them, a few things to, to maybe consider. First of all, I mean, I know there's so much information online and in books and things, but definitely don't underestimate how useful and and beneficial it can be to have somebody by your side through this so you know think about contacting a pet behaviorist many many behaviorists out there are offering remote consults at the moment through video links and that can be worth its weight in absolute gold when it comes to trying to to navigate some of the challenges a with a puppy anyway but also in these slightly weird times that we're living in secondly think about things that are now going to be normal so you know suddenly everybody's wearing for example face coverings or there's going to be some people that are and some people that aren't so getting, you know, wearing a face mask maybe around the house could be a good idea and getting your puppy used to seeing that some people wear them and some people don't. But that doesn't mean that the puppy shouldn't feel like they can still connect and, and communicate with, with that person. OK, and then my last tip really with puppies would be if we are sort of entering this new phase where we're easing lockdown and we might be able to start seeing a sort of a small group, a set number of people then you might, you know, you might offend a few people, but just be a bit selective on who, on who, you, on who you invite into your group. Uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe some of your friends and family have a dog and perhaps they might be the first port of call for you. Who knows? Uh, but <laughs> joking aside, if you can just get one or two people that have got dogs to, to sort of have regular contact with, it will, st- it will be absolutely worth its weight in gold for your puppy. Um, because it will really be an opportunity for them to learn how to have interactive play, how to have appropriate play. And I would really suggest that you try and find somebody that you can see on a regular basis that your puppy can then have regular contact with an older dog. And then finally, with a little rub of the chin, a 
raise of the tail, we're going to give a nod to our feline friends because I think, you know, they they are known as being very independent and and I'm sure many people are thinking, well, my, I mean, my cat just literally looks like it can't wait for me to go back to work. It's like, yeah, goodbye. Thank you. But of course, there are cats very, very reliant on, on regular human contact and others might be a little bit more independent. But basically, all cats like a, a, a structure. They like a routine. So what you what we might find with our cats is that actually as we go back to work that in its own right can be quite stressful and um, because again it's a change to the norm and with our cats particularly we know that any sort of stress can trigger off some physical health issues and the most commonly and really well documented of those would be would be lower urinary tract issues so basically cystitis it's really worth thinking about that and trying to implement some things that that might just reduce the the stress elements there. But one thing I'm one of my main worries with cats is is how their sort of outside world is also going to change because obviously cats we tend to let them go and explore on their own a bit more. So the roads, for example, might have been quite quiet and now they're starting to get busier. People may or may not have been spending more time in their gardens and that might change again. So everything is, is their, their entire world with cats is, is changing at the moment. And I think one thing that worries me with that more so is, is if they either get lost or, you know, we're talking about traffic. We all, it's a horrible thing to talk about, but road traffic accidents are definitely something that we do obviously see with cats. And so I would really encourage everybody to microchip their cat, especially now. And obviously just check that the details registered on your chip are, are still correct. Now, I know vets are sort of in a strange limbo land at the moment where we can't offer so much of the routine stuff. It might not be that you can do it straight away, but hopefully, hopefully, and don't quote me, but in the next few weeks, um, it might be that more routine stuff can be offered again. So just just keep talking to your vets about whether you could go down and get a microchip implanted. And then finally, what I would say is there are, I'm sure you will have, if you do a quick Google search, you will see that there are loads and loads of products on the market as well that are all marketed to try and help your pets cope with anxiety or, or calming them down. And some of these products are really, really good and they've got their place. Others, the science is slightly lacking, but anecdotally, it's worth just exploring this a little bit. So certainly I would look at some of the appeasing pheromone products. So things like the uh, collars that you can buy, the plug-in diffusers for dogs or cats, or the sprays that you can get. And then there are certain supplements that you can add to the food, you know, that can help to release serotonin, for example, and dopamine. But all of these things, try and, they just try and help to build a bit of self-confidence in, in our pets so that when they don't have that direct human contact, they can still sort of cope on their own. And also, you know, talk to your vet because there are certain medications that we can use which can work really, really well, short-term and long-term, uh, for certain types of behaviour issues. So I think as with absolutely everything that we talk about on Vet Together, it's so important that if you do have a medical issue with one of your pets, to always, always contact your own vet first. Okay, right. Well done. Well done, everybody. Pens down. Pens down. <laughs> the tutorial is over. The lockdown lesson is, is now finally finished. Uh, and we can all head into break time. So whether you've finished mucking out the horse or you're about to let the dog out for a wee, this is the time to pour yourself a nice drink, I am going to have a nice crisp glass of rosé because quite frankly, the week I'm having with Oliver and Sprout, I feel I definitely deserve it. And so now I'm going to welcome on our guest. Alex Gregory in my eyes needs absolutely no introduction. He is a double Olympic gold medalist for rowing with the GB team in London and in Rio. 
And not only that, he's gone on to have the most incredible adventures as an explorer with an affinity to animals and the wild world around us. He is truly, truly inspiring. And not only that, he's just one of the loveliest guys that I've ever had the pleasure of chatting to. So please sit back, enjoy as we're about to set sail and hear from the incredible Alex Gregory. It's Alex Gregory. Hello, Alex. Hi, James. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Really good to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. This is incredible to have you here. So, normally on Vet Together, we go straight into the animal stories, but there is no way that I can have somebody, A, that is an MBE, and B, that is a double Olympic gold medalist on the show without just exploring and talking a little bit about that. So, You have won gold in 2012 at the London Olympics and gold in 2016 Rio Olympics. How, just tell me about that. (laughs) Well, you're very kind and you painted a a very nice picture there, but it's just, I was just doing my job. I fell into rowing by chance. Actually, I'm not really that into sport. I'm not a sports fan. I don't follow sport really. Um, and it was purely by chance that I started rowing when I was 17. It, rowing just, just fitted with me because I think it connected to some of the things we're going to talk about. I, my real passion was uh, doing stuff outdoors, wildlife. Um, and, and rowing was an activity that I could do and incorporated that as well. Do you think becoming the Olympic athlete that you are, is that you say you're not necessarily so into sport, but did you think... Maybe that's more about the psychology then. No, I think I think you're right. I think you hit the nail on the head there, the psychology of it. It took 10 years, 10 years for me to win my first race and then uh, another 12 years to win my first uh, Olympic Games, um, which was t- London 2012. And, and uh, I will brush over that, but that was... I was so lucky to have a home Games in, in my sporting career. It was just extraordinary. Uh, but you, you're right. For me, the psychology... Sport for me, the draw wasn't the competition, which it is for some people. I've had conversations with crewmates who it's all about the competition and the race. I love that aspect. I actually hated that aspect. I hate, I, I think I must be to some degree, but I feel like I'm not competitive. I loved the art of it, the, the art of uh, bringing people together and the, the, the feeling of motion in the water and just timing things right. And, and moving in sync with people in in relation to the environment we were in as well, the river, the lake, some of the incredible places around the world I was lucky enough to go, and I could sort of be at one with the nature of that place while while trying to win races as well, which was the necessary <laughs> <Yeah>. evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that so much. So you've done your you 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 achieved the, the gold medals, and then what then drove you to to explore the is, is it the most furthest north that anybody has ever rowed before yeah yeah that's right uh, i don't know how i don't know how i ended up there <laughs> so before I, before i started rowing as i said my passion growing up is the outdoors and adventure and wildlife and i went to svalbard which is if you haven't been to anyone who hasn't been i, I i'd really recommend it as a location once we're allowed to go places again. Svalbard is an incredible place. It's an island north of Norway. Um, and I think it's Longyearbyen, the town called Longyearbyen, is the uh, most northerly, continuously inhabited place on earth. I'm, I'm not sure about that, but I think it is anyway. I went there when I was a 16-year-old kid on a, on a British Exploring Society, uh, which is a young person's charity 
expedition. I spent a month on the island exploring it and also studying a meltwater river. It's part of the part of the trip. Okay. And I, I fell in love with the place and the the idea of going to remote places and exploring places. When I when I won my final gold in in Rio 2016, I knew I knew that was going to be my last race. I had I was done. I had I had enough in a good way. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do other things, explore other places, and this opportunity to to row from Svalbard North just popped up um, six months after stopping, and I I, I I sort of jumped at the opportunity to do that, and so I found myself on this tiny tiny boat rowing away from Svalbard, <laughs> looking out for polar bears, um, but no it, it it was the most inc- extraordinary place to row. Um, and you know, we saw in terms of wildlife, we saw just beautiful, beautiful things in the Arctic. What did you yeah. see? Tell me. I mean, extraordinary bird life everywhere. And, and it, unsurprisingly, the bird life was all along the coast. As we rode north, we rode up uh, along the coast of Svalbard and then off the top of Svalbard to the permanent ice sheet. There was bird life all the way along, which is relatively close to land. Mm. But then we turned. Once we got as far north as we could row, we turned and headed off into the Greenland Sea for to eventually end up south in Iceland. The birds stayed with us the whole time. No there were northern, northern fulmars. Um, I, think, I think northern fulmars uh, – and they they used us. They used our boat, I think, as a bit of reassurance in the middle of the sea. They were they were they just landed on our boat and they just sat. They? And actually, it, it got pretty dangerous at times. Uh, I was fearful for my life in some of the storms. If we capsized that boat, we we would we were going to die. But with the waves rearing up around us in this pretty daunting, pretty serious situation, the birds were just sitting on on top of the waves, just letting the waves go under them. They're like a cork, and they were just peaceful and calm. And they they helped me in that situation. They really sort of calmed me down. And 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 I, I, I'd, I'd be sitting on the oars rowing through these storms mm-hmm. and just chatting to the birds <laughs> under my breath. Um, well, yeah, I just want to say yeah. that that when you have that connection to nature and that and that sort of affinity with animals, I can imagine the, you know, the, for I mean, especially at the moment with people in in isolation, things, the company of animals is is actually incredibly powerful, isn't it? I mean, I think if you if you have that, you know, even if all you see for the few days or weeks is 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 the wildlife and the birds around you, then that becomes strangely comforting. I guess is that. Is that kind of absolutely, yeah. absolutely? And in that in that extreme environment, I, I, I felt it more than ever in my life, and it made me realise even more the importance of of animals and and wildlife in my life. It, it, because, yeah, they they they've been the one constant in my life, my one interest, my my one something that's always been there. And, and mm-hmm. in that situation, they were still there still there a thousand miles from land yeah <laughs> yeah isn't it mad and what did you see whales did you see i'll tell you what did you see the northern lights no it was we were there in the summertime so it's okay. like daylight okay but we did see whales and, and the <laughs> first uh, i was it, this was a huge draw this this aspect of this trip uh, amongst the sort of exploratory uh, side of it and the challenge the physical challenge of it the, the wildlife side of it was one of the main draws for me mm. and uh, the day we saw whales for the first time we we just left the northernmost point we were heading south maybe a day or two into that southern southerly direction and suddenly there was this this gray uh, 
movement to the left side of my oar. And you, you, we, were, we were rowing 90 minutes on, 90 minutes off until forever, basically. Just so you get into this, this monotony, this daze. You're almost sort of, you're moving, but you're sort of asleep. And then just off to the side, this, uh, this gray shape broke the water, not five meters off the end of my oar. Oh my and word. I looked across and Carlo, the guy behind me shouted, Alex, look. Uh, and, and it was a, a whale's back. And no. this huge, this huge great whale came, um, just broke, broke the surface and slumped away. And just behind it, there was a calf, a, oh, a, a much, a, you know, a that's tiny, incredible. tiny whale. I mean, that's, that, that's just as an experience, that must have just been incredible. And, it, and to be out there and feel, I mean, did you feel quite vulnerable? How did, what, what, what sort of went through your mind? Were you quite scared or were you just excited or was it? At that moment, no, no, never was never never felt vulnerable or scared with the with any of the wildlife that were, okay. were around. Even the even the even the enormous enormous whales. It was only the weather that that scared us so and was, the was... sea. Unfortunately, we had a we had a skipper on the boat that was like all about speed. He's like, "Stop looking at the whales. Keep moving. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're there getting <laughs> your binoculars out and and getting a good yeah naming all the all writing my notes. <laughs> yeah. You're on your Doctor Doolittle experience, whilst everybody else is uh, is is timing it. I was I was just going to say that's actually been a thread throughout my my whole sporting life. The um, people in my boat or coach saying, telling me to keep my eyes in the boat, keep concentrating while I watch a kingfisher <laughs> yeah. whiz off down the river. But, oh, but, but that, I think this this has been a, a way for me to perform in a way as well because it's taken. It, I, I have found that side of things. And I wonder how you feel about this. That side of things, the the animal side, the wildlife side, has has, has given me given me a separation from the pressures of what I have to do. Um, it sort of gives me a mental break, I suppose, from from the reality of the situation. Perhaps I think that, no, I think that's exactly it. And and um, it's interesting to hear you speak about rowing in a way that's almost the literally the vehicle that gets you to experience the things that you really want to experience. Almost like the the, like you say, the necessary evil is that you have to get into a boat, but that then takes you and opens these experiences and these doors for you to to reach to the the, the sort of the natural world, which is maybe more kind of is that more inviting to you? Do you would you say is is that is that kind of drive to get back to nature now become more of a of an of a drive than than the than the competing and the rowing? No, no, without question, you're you're absolutely right. Now, now my challenge is to to find a way. Uh, to make that transition because uh, I'm finding that aspect of life difficult. Although time has gone on, you know, it's been four years since I stopped competing, but the reality is the transition from one thing to another is, is a tricky thing. And and how do I become the person I want to become now and leave behind what I did before? Uh, It's the same with any, anything anyone wants to change perhaps in life, but, uh, I, I realized I was institutionalized. I was completely reliant on people telling me what to do, what to eat, when to eat, how to sleep. You know, all these aspects of my life were controlled over the 16 years I was competing. And, and I, I, I rode seven days a week, 350 days a year. So now I'm trying to break away from that and, and forge a new, forge a new life. And I, I hope that wildlife and, and yeah country living is is going to be a big part of that that's incredible yeah, so, just, that, so that's the, that is the level of commitment that you 
had to put into for years of, of every single day rowing to get to, to, to the places that you got to. Yeah, uh, that was the nature of, nature of the sport. There are no shortcuts. Our coach um, would, would, would constantly say there are no shortcuts. And once, once I accepted that, you know, it took a while. I was, I was already straight away quite committed to it. And I'm, I'm someone who sort of likes a routine, I found out. And so I, I, was, I'm, I was quite conscientious already. But you have to devote, you have to sort of give everything, everything to it. Any day you wake up, you feel, oh, I just, I just need a break today. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to go in today or, or I've got a bit of a cold. Yeah. What's your feeling? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, suddenly someone else is sitting in your seat in the boat. They might make your boat go quicker, then they'll get selected and you'll lose your job. That became the stark reality of it. So let's talk a little bit about where you are now. Then, so you, we've gone from the the years of rowing and and these incredible experiences, especially the the Arctic um, expedition, getting you back to nature. Am I? I mean, obviously, I've, I follow you on Instagram, and I just love all of the stories. But I see pigs, I see hens, I see countryside. So, well, has there been this big transition then in your life from going from? The, the the sort of the, the routine and stuff to this this country idyllic lifestyle you seem to be le- leading now tell, tell us about that well now we live somewhere where we can have these things and i feel like it's not that big a change to anything before but you're, you're probably right we we couldn't we didn't live in a place where we could have chickens and pigs before <laughs> although I, I toyed i toyed with the idea can we fit a pig in this little <laughs> section of the garden <laughs> yeah. No, James will be cross if he sees that. It's too small. <laughs> um, I think, yeah. So, so now I don't have to be in a certain area. You know, I was. We were a centrally um, located program, so we all had to live near the lake. Basically, now I don't have to live there. Uh, we we have come to a house. I have three children as well, so we've come to a house where we all have a bedroom. <laughs> we we, all, uh, we we have a big garden that the kids can run around and and very luckily we've we've got a bit of space for for some animals as well so it's almost it's getting towards the the dream when i was younger uh, gerald durrell was a hero of mine he he gave me permission to have tanks in my bedroom and keep things inside so that's what I'm, i'm i'm trying to sort of give to my children now learn to look after things and love things and love life and wildlife yeah yeah I think it's 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 lovely to hear that because that's it's it's quite similar to myself, you know, with tanks in the bedroom and chickens outside and things. And I think having animals in our upbringing is is so important. And I and I'm you know we're the similar. I've I've sort of reverted back to now we've got chickens and sheep and things, and, and I wouldn't have it any other way. But that leads us quite nicely into your book because you have a book out, Dad Ventures, and this is all about basically exactly what we're talking about the the uh, sort of experiences of you know, your childhood and being out with nature, exploring countryside, building fires, building dens, things that a lot of kids now, um, we've kind of lost that sort of imagination. And You're hitting the nail on the head, absolutely. I find it easy to understand how we've lost those simple things that make us all happy because the speed of life has changed and the, the pressures on us all in whatever jobs we do whatever careers we do life is just fast paced and competitive and quite hard it's it's telling uh the reader what my dad did with me and just give people an intention a push out the door an idea just to get out the door 
what goes on from there, it doesn't matter. They yeah. can, if they light that, that fire or not, if they climb that tree or, or, or not, it doesn't matter. But they've gone outside together and, and made a, spent a little time together, a little precious time outdoors. Um, and that's what's important to me to help people do. So with your, what animals do you have at the moment then? Where, what do you, do you want to give us a rundown of your menagerie? Oh yeah, can I? No one's ever allowed me to do that before. So oh, this here is we a are. real Come pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> so we have two Kuna Kuna pigs. They are our pets. They're, they're lovely. They're funny. They're real characters. I didn't know too much about pigs. I knew that I loved them. And, and actually Emily, Emily has always talked about pigs ever since I first knew her many years ago. She's always talked about pigs. So as soon as we had space, they were our first sort of yeah a- acquisition. And they are ginger and pickle, and we just love them. We love chatting to them, going out to see them. They're so funny. Uh, and one of the things I, I love more than anything at the moment is our hens. And I grew up having hens. We used to have bantams at home. But we got these for free from a, a battery farm. Oh. And they were 11 that, that had been dropped dropped by the dispatchers oh, no. um so they're, they're all sort of quite lucky dropped off the yeah, off sort the of wagon. physically dropped the from the farmer who described it to me said they just come and pick them up and 11 of them escaped escaped the, the, the hands of the dispatchers yeah. um they disappeared off around the farm so he rounded them up and I, I went off to devon to pick them up just down the road and they were they were bedraggled and and a lot of them were missing feathers you know in a terrible state and the guy was quite realistic about it he said they might not survive the journey home i'm afraid but they they did and we sorted out their run and house and beautiful palace for them the next day we had 11 eggs and i I tell you not 12 months on we've pretty much had 11 eggs a day not quite but pretty much it's so rewarding seeing them now that they've all been through a molt and they're beautifully feathered up and they're just they're free proper free range they're all they're all over the place i'm looking out the window at them now you could write a book about uh, you could write a book about the hen adventures next maybe that sounds like an incredible stroke of luck for them and what so you've got hens and pigs is there any anybody else a oh yes stanley i can't i can't not I've got to talk about Stanley. Stanley's my tortoise. Okay. My, um, he's a Herman's tortoise. And I got him for my 21st birthday. I'm not sure uh, mum and dad... It's kind of unusual for a 21-year-old guy to be given a tortoise, but mum and dad know me well. And, uh, and he's been on many adventures over the years. I used to go on training camp a lot for long periods of time. Yeah. And one time, I, it was a six-week training camp leading up to a championships one time and, and I gave them to mum and dad gave him to mum and dad to look after uh they took him and sorted out a run for him and lost him but they didn't tell me for months and months I I never got around to pick him up and eventually I said right I'm coming to get Stanley I'm, I miss him and mum was like Alex he's gone he got he's gone he went three months ago we haven't been able to find him I was pretty devastated and uh uh, and I went. I went back to mum and dad's to look for him, but he, he was nowhere to be found. We that was it. He was gone. Two years later, he turned up. What? Two years later, in dad's veggie patch, about no twenty meters from where he escaped from. Yeah, 
That is incredible. Adventure just seems <laughs> He's to got... follow you around, doesn't it? No matter whether whether it's you or your animals, there seems to be adventure that just comes linked to Alex. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I don't know about that. Maybe, I don't know if it's adventure or, or misadventure probably is a better, <laughs> better term. I, I, I love tortoises. They're almost like di- they're sort of the living dinosaurs, aren't they? They just I just think they're they are incredible. Um, yeah. And if people want to find you to follow your uh, your incredible animal adventures, um, where can they where can they find you? Uh, yeah, uh, please anyone get in touch. I'm always up for a chat on Twitter, LinkedIn, my website alexgregorygb.com, um, and Instagram alexgregorygb as well. So it's pretty easy to find. I'm not hiding anywhere. Please yeah. come and have a chat. <laughs> Lovely. Brilliant. Okay. Well, listen, thank you so much and good luck with everything. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thanks so much for having me. Right. And that brings us to the end of episode four. Thank you so much again for listening. And don't forget, I really want you to get in touch. Please do send me all of your questions. You can drop me an email on vettogetherofficial at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at vettogetherofficial. And if you are enjoying Vet Together, which I really hope that you are, please do hit subscribe and feel free to leave a review or a rating. Either way, have a fantastic week. Give all of your pets a massive cuddle from me, Oliver, Sprout and all of the hens. And we will be checking in with you again very, very soon.